0: Well, God bless you. If you have your Bible today, I want you to go to two passages. You can go to Luke chapter eight and Luke chapter fourteen. If you follow along on your uh, Bible app, find the live event. All the notes will be there for you, and you can add notes of your own if you like to do it that way. Uh, today, I'll be speaking to you a message called "It's like This: The Invitation of the Kingdom part two and uh we're we're taking some time to really look deeper into the kingdom of God. And anytime you want to know something about the kingdom of God, you go and look at the stories that Jesus told when he was teaching. These stories are called parables. And he taught in parables when he wanted to reveal the kingdom. You say, how do you know that for sure? Well, that's Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. They said, they, they said, uh, tell us the meaning of the parable. And he says, "Why, why, why do you speak this way? And he said this, and... Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 10, it says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them, I speak in parables, that they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so what we see is when Jesus was teaching in parables, it would bring a division, a division between the religious and the true follower of God, the true disciple. And uh, the beautiful part of it is that mysteries get revealed when you press in to following Jesus and you press in to his teaching. So you begin to understand things about the kingdom. Uh, uh, this really, we're, we're doing this series because of. I was driving down the road and, uh, and I was just thinking about my schedule and things that needed to be done. And um, the Lord spoke to me and just out of the blue, I wasn't even thinking about it. And he said, my kingdom is bigger than you know. And, uh, you know, I I was shocked and I was stunned by that, but I knew immediately it was an invitation to go and learn something about the kingdom so that we could actually grow and be stronger in the last hour. And so we've been spending some time looking into the parables because the parables reveal the kingdom. And and, uh, last week we started to look at this one particular parable called the Great Supper. And uh, there, there are some different uh, people in, the, in this parable, and we're going to read it together, and then we're going to look at it. And this parable, we're going to look at intentionally for more than one week. And, and so Luke chapter 14, verse 15, says this. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. And I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them, and I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master being master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the, 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 uh, the servant said, Master... It is done as you've commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highway and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Now, the, in the invitation, there's, there's, there's three uh, uh, groups of people, or people. First of all, there's the master, and that's the message I shared last week, and Then secondly, then there are are servants, and we're going to look at that a little closer today. The master is representative of of, of Father God. The servants are uh, uh, like a type and a shadow or representative of sons and daughters of God, those who belong to God. And then the last group is the invited. That's kind of everyone. So we'll talk about them next week. And uh, I, I want you to understand First, the perspective. If you didn't get to hear the message from last week, I want you to go back, calvary.online and listen to the message, or you can watch it on YouTube or Facebook. But the master in this story has prepared in advance a feast, and every detail has been thought of and supplied for, and the feast represents all that God has done for us. And do you remember why the master did it? Why did the master make this feast in advance? Yeah, you're as quiet as first service was. Yep, you don't remember. Here's why. Because he delights in us. He delights in us. And I know why we don't remember that. Because Most of us as believers do not delight in ourselves so that when we hear God says, uh, God delights in us, we immediately excuse that truth from having any impact on our heart. We don't delight in ourselves, so how in the world could God delight in us? So, but the truth of the matter is that last week we saw over and over again in scripture, he says, because he delights in us. That's why He has set the table. That's why He prepared everything in advance. That's why He supplied His Son. That's why He died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead. That's why He sent the glorious baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why He gave us the body of Christ to be a part of. I'm telling you, every detail, everything has been set, everything supplied, because He delights in you. He delights in you. Now today, we're going to look closely at the servant. And the servant plays a really critical role in this parable, and it's worth, worth, uh, worth uh, us carefully examining him in this text. And the servant is a type of New Testament, listen, son or daughter of God. i, I, I got to give you this. The servant is a type... Of a son or a daughter of God, someone who has been born again, who is following God. Here, I'll prove it to you. Uh, well, first of all, first of all, let me, let me just define this word in the Greek. Uh, 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 it's the word doulos in the Greek. It's first translated slave, but we kind of have a very American view of what the word slave means. That's not what this word means. Uh, This word means someone who serves another in order to pay off a debt. Someone who is indebted. Someone who you could uh, honestly metaphorically say one who gives themselves wholly to the will of another. It means one who belongs to another. So when you say, I'm a servant of God, you're saying, I belong to God. Uh, My my life belongs to God. My will belongs to God. My, My finances belong to God. My family belongs to God. Everything about me belongs to God. Now, in Luke 22, there was a a little bit of an argument about what it means to be a servant in the kingdom. It says, And now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs, listen to this, and he who governs as he who serves. Boy, should we send this verse to Washington, D.C.? And Tallahassee, and every other state capital? Now listen, verse 27, for he who, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not who, who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one, the one who serves. Here's what you need to see. Real servants are sons. Real servants are sons and daughters of God. So you don't take on a slave mentality to be a servant. You take on the mentality of a born-again, blood-bought, I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm now a son or a daughter of God who gives my life fully to God's purpose. That's the right mentality of a servant. And just in case you're wondering... You know, if you're wondering, well, who's at the top of the ladder in the kingdom? Well, let me tell you, it's those who are, I mean, they're minutes old in Jesus. They just got born again, and all they do is soil their spiritual diapers all the time. (laughs) I mean, they're babies. They're messing up things pretty good. They need some help. You know what i 'm saying they 're like man I, they don 't say the right things or do the right things yet, but they 're born again they 're in the kingdom by the way they 're at the top. but when you start to walk with God and when you start to live as a son or a daughter you 're not climbing the ladder you 're going deeper you 're going lower let me just let me just bring it to uh, the, that, that thought to a latter end. Let me just tell you, you are not here at Calvary to promote Any minister's ministry on the stage. We exist in this place to go as low as we can to lift up the ministry in you. That is what we're doing here We don't we're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're trying to lift you higher in your walk with God and say listen come on walk with God live as a son or a daughter Man, you're redeemed and washed and blood-bought and and filled and God has purpose So we're gonna lift you higher till you walk in your purposes and walk as a servant in the kingdom now We know greatness in the kingdom is displayed through service. But how many of you know there's a right way to serve and a wrong way to serve? You ever seen somebody serve the wrong way? I heard this story about this usher at this little little country church, you know. And and in order to get in the church, you know, you remember the, the church used to be elevated. And you had to go up a few steps to come into the sanctuary. And so the, this usher saw this, this older elderly lady. She's coming up to the steps. So he walks down and he grabs her hand and helps her up the steps. And she comes into that little small lobby. And she, he says, ma'am, where would you like to sit? She goes, oh, I'd like to sit on the front row. And he goes, ma'am, you don't want to do that. Our pastor's real boring. That little elderly woman looked, looked at that usher and says, Sir, do you know who I am? And he said, no, ma'am, I don't. I'm the pastor's mother. (laughs) And he said, well, ma'am, do you know who I am? And she says, no, I don't. And he said, good. (laughs) I'm just telling you there's a right way to serve and a wrong way to serve. And uh, today, I believe God wants to help us get the right mindset connected to what he has called us to carry. Now, let's let's look at this servant in this story. First thing you need to see about the servant is the servant is sent. And at first glance, you may say, well, that's, a, uh, well, that's normal. If you have a servant, that's what you do. You just tell them what to do. Well, that's not exactly what this word means, sin. You see, in Luke 14, 16, it says, And a certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and he sent. There it, there it is in verse 17. His servant at the supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. You see, this word sent in the Greek, it means commission to extend a message or purpose of another. This word sent is the same word in its root that we get the word apostle from. I mean, the, the apostles were pretty important in the planting of the early church. They were the ones that, they were commissioned by Jesus to further his ministry. So when you see that a servant is sent, you need to begin to say in your own heart and, and, and life, I have been commissioned by Jesus to extend his ministry, to show his love and to carry his message. The sent servant, you need to know this, has authority. You're not just a slave, you're a son, and you carry the authority that the Father has given to us in in giving his message. Now, that that has a name within the Scripture. There's a different name for this kind of servant in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Uh, Verse 20, it says it this way, now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what's the message? Be reconciled to God. And this, this verse, you should memorize this. For he who met, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is so good. This is God the Father made Jesus through coming and dying on the cross to be sin for us. That means he took our sin upon him that we might become righteous in God's eyes. Let me blow you away. The righteousness Jesus possessed as the perfect son of God, when you place faith in him, this verse says that's the righteousness you get. Not the righteousness that you earn through performance or doing the right thing. No, I place faith in him and suddenly all the equity that Jesus has with the father he gives to me. The servant, the son or daughter who carries authority. That's why we have authority, because he's given us a righteousness that doesn't belong to us. And you need to know this. Ambassadors are fully backed and fully resourced messengers. Fully backed, fully resourced. If you go uh, uh, to any embassy, you have left the country you were in and you have entered the country of that embassy few short years ago i was standing in the u.s embassy in israel in jerusalem when you come on to the embassy you leave israel and you enter the united states of america and i want to tell you right now that you and i need to understand that you are an ambassador and everywhere you go, you are carrying the full backing of the kingdom of God. You carry its influence, you carry its supply, you carry its power as one who's been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not just meager servants defeated walking around. Like the news report, you know, just a few weeks ago, literally announcing the demise of the church in North America saying, oh yeah, the church in North America, is, it, it, it's, it's falling apart. And let me just say that in, in some terms, that's true. They're just reporting facts and numbers and attendance. But I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of God is not falling apart and that the church is not to be overlooked. Matter of fact, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So we got to be an overcoming church. Well, how do we do that? Well, we walk as fully backed, sent as fully resourced messengers of the master. And the servant has one assignment. Aren't you glad when you only have one assignment, kids? (laughs) Men in the room, aren't you glad when you just got one thing to do? We have one thing to do, and that is to declare those things which the master has declared and displayed. That's our role. You say, what's the master declared? Come, for all things are now ready. Come, come. This invitation, you heard it in 2 Corinthians. Be reconciled to God. Come, come. All things are ready. The table is set. Your place is ready. God standing with arms open wide, welcoming you into his kingdom. Come, for all things are now ready. But he wasn't just carrying that as a message from the master, he was also carrying that as a message he had experienced listen don't ever be the person that comes to church and maybe you're maybe you're coming weeks after weeks and you know you 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 do this so your your wife doesn't get on to you you know you're like okay I'll make her happy I'll go to church and you think to yourself well that Jesus is kind of good for her no Jesus is good for you sir he'll be good to you sir He'll take your life and he'll give you purpose. It's the reason you've been created, to know God. And I want to tell you, you're not just supposed to be one who hears what God's message to the whole world is. You need to carry a message that has deeply impacted who you are. God doesn't want you to just tell his story. He wants you to tell yours. It's what you personally experienced a few weeks ago at First Wednesday here, the whole service was nothing but testimonies. I mean all night long. If you didn't go and watch it, you need to go and watch that service and hear all that God has done in the lives of people. Were they just simply preaching the gospel from the scripture? No, they weren't. But they were telling the glorious effects of all that happened when they feasted on what God had prepared. And it was salvation. It was deliverance. It was healing. It was freedom and life. And I'm here to tell you, church, listen, don't think that the only thing you're supposed to carry is a message from God. You're supposed to carry your message to this region. Man, we need to be people who tell what Jesus has done in our lives. This is the hour where sons and daughters declare what God has declared to the whole world, but not only what he has said, but what they have personally experienced. 1 John 1, 1 through 4 is full of this. Now listen to how many examples of personal experience are in just these four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, that means made known, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. He's saying, listen, the reason I'm telling you what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced is so you can experience it too. So that we can have fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Father and His only Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do it, your joy will be full. Come on, we need to understand It's not just about, you know, the story of the gospel, which is absolutely necessary that God loved us. Man sinned and fell away from God, but God, because He loved us, sent His only Son to die on a cross, who was buried and on the third day was raised from the dead. And all who place faith in Him by grace will be saved. That's the gospel. But those words can fall on deaf ears until you go, and let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you how he changed me How he set me free Man he broke that addiction Man he changed my thinking Boy I, you wouldn't even recognize The person I used to be you, If I told you you'd be like you are lying to me No I used to be a liar Now I tell the truth So I'm telling you the truth About what I have seen What I have heard What I have experienced on my own Church as servants We're sent and we're sent with his story And our story, and we need to tell it. Let me give you this second thought about the servant. The servant is steadfast. In verse verse 13, uh, not, not 13, verse 17, it says, The master sent his servant to who? Those who were originally invited. Verse 21, it says this So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry or being provoked, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you've commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now listen, three times the servant is told to go and he goes. You know that what that requires? A steadfast spirit. A steadfast spirit. I've had a lot of people telling me, I tried that Jesus thing. What does that mean? Because you're doing it wrong. What do you mean you tried it? What is that? You should have just received it. You should have received it. And then followed what he was saying, no matter the results. But what's that? That does require a steadfast spirit. Can, can I, someone in ministry I'm looking out in the front row. Do you need to be steadfast in ministry? Yes, you do. You do. You will want to quit. In week one of foundations, we tell you that. You go through our discipleship, we'll tell you, week one, you're going to want to quit this course. You're going to find every excuse under the sun you come in telling me about five oxen <laughs> In order to live as a son or a god We need to ask god for a steadfast spirit And listen as the overcoming church This is something god supplies to us This is so good this is why the apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians church in Ephesians 3:14 through 16 he says for this reason i bow my knees to the father of our lord jesus christ from whom the whole Family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Listen, when God says go and he says go and he says go, he's not saying go in your own strength. He's saying go and here's the power to do it. Go and here's the strength to do it. Go and here's my spirit that will help you overcome and accomplish the very thing I have called you to do. That is a steadfast spirit. And church, we've got to be steadfast. I feel like every message over this the, the last half of this year has been all about getting you ready to endure some things. We need strength regardless of the circumstances. He was sent three times. You notice the first time the servant was sent? He was totally unsuccessful. And those were kind of warm leads. (laughs) Master's already invited them. Servant goes out to them, has no success. Does that sound like any of you guys when you went witnessing the first time? Tried to share your faith? What happened? Nobody listened to you. You know what, here's where most people become cynical and quit, and excuse not ever doing it again. They say, well, nobody wants to hear about Jesus anymore, nobody does that, and we'll blame the culture, and we'll go into a cave, start boiling hot water and pouring it in our MREs. Instead of being the overcoming sons and daughters that God has called us. Now listen, if you receive this message as okay, I've got to be steadfast, but I'm going to go and I'm going to preach the gospel. And somebody rejects you, listen to me. Do not take rejection personally. Don't ever take it personally. Kids, you need to listen to me. Don't take it personally when people reject the gospel on your lips. Jesus addressed this. In church, we need, to, we need to understand this. And this is the way we have to live our lives. Luke ten sixteen it says, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So Jesus says, Don't don't get don't get Don't get offended. Why? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. But notice what the servant does in this story. He continued. The second time he sent, it requires that he goes farther. Streets and lanes of the city, and notice the poor, maimed, lame, and the blind. That's who he finds. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. Servants remove barriers so that anyone can accept the invitation to feast at the master table. They remove barriers. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, think of this. He says, the first person I found was Poor. That means he couldn't pay his way, he couldn't afford to travel, so I had to give him something. But then, think of this, the next two guys can't even walk. The lame, the maimed, they can't get there on their own. And the last guy, he's blind. He can't see the way. So what's the servant got to do? He has got to remove a barrier to get these people to the master's table. Church, listen, our whole lives in Christ are meant to be. I can remove that barrier. I can remove that. You can't walk, I'll carry you. that reminds me of a few years ago. Now listen, don't try this in 2022. Cuz in 2000 I didn't know any better. I got here to Calvary Church, hired on as the youth pastor to take up take over this epic youth group of six kids, <laughs> two of which belonged to the new pastor. So we have four plus his two. There's six of us. Our whole youth group, we could have it around one table. I saw this old Ford van, and when I say old, I mean it was old. Bless God. Some of y'all remember that van who are in this room. It was old, had Calvary Christian Center on the side. It was so epic. One year driving it back, somebody said, You shouldn't drive that to camp. I'm like, I am driving it to camp. And on the way back from camp, it blew up. Gave us an extra day in the mountains. It was awesome. He <laughs> said, why did you drive that van? It blew up. I know no, that's what I was going for the whole time. <laughs> but before it blew up, around here, I took those six kids, put them in the white van, and I said, come on. Come on, get in the van. They said, all right, what are we doing? I said, we're going to find some of your friends. I asked one of them, I said, so where, where, uh, where, where do you any your friends live? Oh, they are, a lot of them live in Beverly Hills. I said, okay, we're going to Beverly Hills. This creepy old moldy Ford van <laughs> drove up to one house, go knock on the door, got the friend, said, hey, how many of you pastor at Calvary Church? You want to go to church? That kid said, yeah, let's go. Just ran out the house, never talked to the parents. Then he gets in the van. I'm like, dude, listen, we got pizza at the church. It'll be there in a little bit, but here's the deal. In order for you to get any of that pizza, you got to tell me, where are the other kids in in this neighborhood? He goes, oh, I know where they all are. I said, good. All right, you're up front. We went around knocking on doors, just filled up the whole van and came back to the church. Listen. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Before you know it, Calvary had a prison bus driving through. Beverly Hills, I'm and Listen, listen, and listen. Here's the, here's the God's honest truth. By 2003, over 18 different young, 1,800 different young people had made decisions for Christ. Why? Because we removed barriers. They couldn't get to church. Their parents weren't interested in taking them. So we just, we just removed a barrier. I remember one young man whose name was Christian. He had multiple barriers. He came out in a wheelchair. And his, his, his parents would wheel him down to the van. And our drivers had to pick him up. And place him in the van. And fold up the wheelchair. And put him in the back. And I remember this happened. And on the very first night I saw him. And God spoke to me and said, I'm going to heal him. You see, he had been given a vaccination for the eight to heal you, a a kind of together service on a Wednesday night. And the church had been fasting and praying. And right over here, uh, David Peterson, who's still here, was one of the guys who was praying. The Lord says, I'm healing Christian. I look over and there are people praying for him right here. And, and uh, they, they actually said We feel like he should get up I said well then lift him up I was standing on the stage And we watched this young man They lifted him from the wheelchair And suddenly strength came To his legs and feet And suddenly he starts to walk Turns loose of everybody Does two laps Well as this kid starts to walk Our church went berserk As you can imagine I mean, we're going crazy, praising God, celebrating God. Well, to the point where we lost Christian. We're like, where is he? <laughs> we want to hear about this. We're looking around. Where's Christian? Where is he? He's not in the building. He's not in the building. And so we, we I, I go, I said, well, I got to go find this kid. We can't lose one that just got healed. Uh, and he rode the van. And, um. I remember in between the buildings is where our basketball rim was. And what would you do if you had been paralyzed for nearly a year? You'd go grab a ball and start to shoot. That's that's where I found him playing basketball under the hoop. That night when we took him home in the van, came out as he normally does to take the wheelchair out of the back lift his son and put him in the chair only when he walked out he saw his son walking up one of those steep Beverly Hills driveways goes up from the road and he shouts at the top of his lungs to his wife whose name was Sissy and she says Sissy our son is walking Our son is walking. Those three united, and they would later tell us this son, this dad, who wasn't even a believer when he started sending his son to church. He said, when I sent him to church, I had a dream. And in the dream, my son was healed. I'm telling you, What I've seen and heard and held with my hands. And we as church have got to remove the barriers for people to come and feast at the table. Our God is good and he still saves and he still heals and he still restores. That was the second time he went out. But the third time, there was a different level of urgency. He said, go out into the highways and the hedges this time. Go even further. And he said, this time, compel them. Compel them to come in. There was an urgency to this part of the message. No, it was unlike the other times. This time it, it, it was as if that there was a time stamp on the message. It's ready. Come now. Let me put it into modern vernacular part of the message that we need to carry. Jesus Christ is coming soon. He is coming back, church. He is coming again. And listen, today we are closer to that salvation than we have ever been before. Jesus is coming, and there's an urgency as servants. We need to say, Holy Spirit, make me steadfast fast in carrying your message in carrying your truth and I'll go with your message on my lips you see we as the church have this same urgency to carry the invitation of heaven to experience all the father has offered to all of us through the price of his only begotten son that he paid on the cross Calvary, we have got to become the church that carries the invitation. We have got to become this. Let me just give you a couple of just practical ways. Very practical. Not even overtly spiritual. They're just practical ways. Make a commitment into your heart that with God's help, I'm going to invite at least one family or one person to church every week. Just one. You may think, wow, I could do that easily. I just want to tell you, the table's set. And many of those people, when polled, said, I would have come to church if I had only been invited. We have got to be the come the, the, the church that says I'm a son or a daughter. I've got the full backing of heaven. I've got the power of the spirit. I've got his word in my heart. I can invite somebody to church. Our commitment to you as those who come every week is every week, if someone comes to this place, they will have an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ. That's our commitment to you. I would say this. There's a second way that you could carry an invitation right now. In just a couple of weeks We have a radical act of love Called Harvest Night I mean it's ridiculous People ask us Why do you do it There's one answer Love To love the people of this county Let me just tell you If you invite a family to Harvest Night In front of their children They'll be there They'll be there Doesn't matter what the parents think. Just say this. Hey, kids, I'd love to invite you to 30,000 free pieces of candy. Those kids will be like, Dad, I will burn the house down if you don't take me to harvest night. (laughs) When you tell them, and it's not a game. There's, there's there's uh, There's no presentation, no... No sleight of hand at Harvest Night. There's only an open hand from the church saying, We love you. Jesus has changed our life. And our prayer is that you would experience that love and experience that power because the table's set. That's why we come and we serve. That's why we love. That's why we plan. That's why we spend Two years ago, in our parking lot, there was a mom. Someone called me over. They had struck up a conversation with a mom. They came and got me. They said, could you you pray for her? I said, yeah, tell me what's going on. She goes, I just got my diagnosis of leukemia. And there with her kids going on to inflatable games, tears start to roll down her cheeks thinking she's received a death sentence. And I got to tell you, in that moment, I didn't question how many people were around me, who was looking or anything else. I said, can I pray for you? Because there's still a God who heals. There's still a God who gives a different report. There's still a God who saves. Yeah, I want you to give your life to Christ. I want you to surrender your life to him. I said, but I want you to, I want to demonstrate to you that he's alive right there in the parking lot. Laid my hands on her and prayed for her and we felt the presence of God. She was crying, her husband were crying and her kids were going, why are y'all crying? <laughs> the presence of God came and let me just tell you, that was worth every minute. All the serving, all the setup, all the hours to be able to be the hands and feet to the broken. Let me just tell you, church, we have got to become the servants who say, Master, your agenda is my agenda. Master, I know that I've been sent to this place. You didn't move here by accident. You were sent here. And you're not only sent here, you're fully backed by God to have an influence for his kingdom. And so what do we do? We're steadfast. Doesn't matter if we're rejected here and there. We're steadfast. We're saying, God, we're going to be servants in the kingdom. And Calvary, listen to me. It's time. We become servants in this kingdom.